0: to the Flying Solo podcast, a show for those going it alone in business. If you're working solo or have dreams of starting up, you'll find support, inspiration and advice at Australia's largest and liveliest small business community. Find us at flyingsolo.com.au or join us on Facebook. Here's your host, Robert Gerrish.
1: My guest is Kate Groom, one of the founders of Smart Franchise and the Franchise Accountants Network. Kate has worked with franchise businesses for almost 20 years, starting with Quick Copy Australia, where she she led financial improvement, business planning, and benchmarking. Later, she was general manager of SignWave for a little over six years. Today, her business runs seminars, workshops, and consulting services for franchise groups, providing practical resources to enable franchises to run more profitably. And our topic is to explore whether buying a franchise is a smart move. Hello, Kate.
0: Hello, Robert. Nice to be with you today.
1: Well, it's great to have you here, and it's been a while since we've spoken, so I'm dying to get dive into this whole topic of uh, franchises. Now, just to kind of get started on it, I've always been led to believe that running a franchise or that buying a franchise business has a greater likelihood of success. This is often the story that's kind of put out by franchise groups. Is is that your understanding, and if so, why is that?
0: Um, Well, yes, it is a story put out by franchise groups, and... um, there's there's some truth in it, I would say, okay. but it's worth understanding what that really means. Hmm. Um, so, if you were to – if I was to start Kate's coffee shop, yes. um, whilst I'm a enthusiastic drinker of coffee and I know what good coffee tastes like, it would be probably quite difficult for me to do that and make a go of it hmm. because I don't know very much about running a coffee shop in terms of the detail. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm pretty cluey about a whole lot of things to do with running and starting a business. but
1: Maybe not a coffee shop.
0: Maybe not a coffee shop. Okay. Um, so this is I, where
1: a franchise group can, can slot in.
0: Exactly. So they've done a lot of the work of finding out where a coffee shop should go and how to set it up. And so the idea is that you don't have to work that out for yourself, which mm. reduces the risk that it might not
1: work. Okay. So that that's where the kind of the success story comes, is that they've done a lot of the homework. They've kind of um, walked this path before. So they know what equipment you need. They know what pricing you should have. They know where you should position yourself. And they know, you know, these are the sort of 10 things you need to do to make a coffee shop work.
0: That's exactly right. Yeah. But what that doesn't mean is that you couldn't start a Shop and have it work
1: Without sipping extremely
0: successfully um, on your own. So where I live in a part of Sydney which doesn't have very many franchised coffee shops, um, it's not been it's not a territory and not an area where they would go very well. They've a couple of brands have had a crack at it, and nobody's mm. been able to make it fly. But there are a couple of amazing uh, independents yeah. run by just absolutely dedicated, hardworking, effective small business
1: owners. Mm. Yeah, I I suppose that, I mean, that's quite an interesting thing, isn't it? That as kind of consumers, sometimes we positively want to walk into something that's very clearly, not necessarily clearly a franchise, because as consumers we may not know whether they are or they aren't, but something that's clearly part of a large network, brackets, that means they're going to give me the same service as I had last time I went to one Mm -hmm. of these places, Versus sometimes we want to go in somewhere that's sort of custom and bespoke and hand-built and clearly not one of those places.
0: Uh, that's that's absolutely right. And, and um, my – let's stick with the coffee example. Mm. I lived in Seattle for a couple of years, which is um, a, a centre of the coffee world. Right. Um, and I bought my coffee at um, a small chain of shops um, – that was independent. And Seattle's well-known for its fantastic independent coffee shops. Mm. It's also well-known for being the home of Starbucks. Right. Which is a form of coffee that I don't particularly care for. Um, But when I traveled around the States, um, one of the really good things was that if you went into a Starbucks, you knew what you were going to get, and it was better than Mm. no-names brand coffee. Yep. So I, I think that is that is the case. There are certain times when we we just we want the safety and security of a of a brand that mm. we know.
1: Yeah, and look, and just going back to that thing then about it about a franchise like to be more successful. I suppose also what this can do though is it can lull the prospective franchisee, that is someone who's looking mm-hmm. to buy a franchise, sometimes into a slightly false sense of, uh, sense of security because whilst on the one hand you've got somebody you know brand x saying we can help you make your coffee shop work Mm -hmm. um it's quite possible that the person looking at the coffee shop has got plenty of money but no sort of sense of of who they need to be to really succeed in customer service and looking at motivating staff and creating a nice atmosphere. So there, are, presumably, that can also cause to the failure of some franchises. Is oh, I, I, a mismatch. It,
0: that is a really great point, Robert. Um, franchising has been so successful in its PR, I suppose, or, mm. or the reputation of the, the sector. That people often, in my experience, underestimate the importance of the business owner in the business working mm. and that you it is it is a business and somebody needs to drive it. It's a small local business in, in every case, even with a big one like a McDonald's. Mm. Um, and as the business owner, you, you do need to be responsible for a whole lot of things. Um, in particular, in the business management and directing the business, um, you are responsible for controlling and managing the staff and motivating them and motivating yourself and and this is not an no no amount of training manuals will get you around that so mm. you, it, it's not a it's not an instant surefire way to get rich no um for anybody no it's kind of buyer
1: beware and you need to you need to yeah. just be well aware of where where your shortcomings are but i guess you know, and I've noticed um, quite a growth in the number of franchises around and businesses that, you know, seem to get started very successfully and then rapidly turn into a, a mm-hmm. sort of a franchise proposition, as it were. Um, but I guess, you know, what we know, and you know, I know that you know this from our sort of research that we've done of, of the flying Solo community, number one sort of hot button is finding clients, is basically marketing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's one thing that where on some, sit- you know, in some situations, somebody think of starting a business, but who maybe knows they have a weakness in marketing, or it may be a weakness in financial management, at least with a good, successful franchise, you know, with runs on the board, you can plug into some of their brand success, can't you? Which is, again, mm-hmm. a, you know, a, a good reason that it, that it does appeal to some people.
0: Yeah, I think, I think that is the case, uh, in particular with finding a market which is it, as you rightly say is the hardest is the most important and usually the hardest thing for any business if you don't have customers you don't have a business no matter mm. how great the idea um, and the franchise will have worked out who the customers are and hopefully will help you establish the business in the right place to yeah. be near those people um, there may be some benefit from the branding although, that varies a little bit depending on the individual franchise. You you can you can be in a franchise with that without a particularly recognised brand name, but that has good systems that helps it work. Yep. Um, so you don't have to have a household name um, to be a, a, a franchise system that can help somebody find a market. Uh, an example. Hmm. Of that would be uh, one we bumped into at the weekend at the franchising expo, uh, called the Drug Detection Agency, right? <laughs> uh, which, which is uh, not really a household name and, and no. probably won't ever be one, um, but is in the business of um, drug testing in mm. workplaces, um, and so they've got a very particular market and a well established business, yeah. Um, not a well-known brand but they know exactly who their target market Mm. is
1: yeah not a well-known brand but presumably a brand that's got uh, immediately got a bit of kudos and got something behind them so somebody who's a someone holding that brand and knocking on the door Mm. of an employer or a school or wherever they go needs to have that behind them or will benefit from having that behind them why don't don't we have a look at um the cost of this so what Mm. i mean i know this is a hard question because i know that there's you know how long is a piece of string but Typically, what's the cost of buying into a franchise? Maybe a couple of examples. What does it cost to get going in a franchise?
0: Yeah, so the range goes from around about the thirty thousand dollar level um, to get into a system. Yep. Um, that would be typically. That's for a home services type business. That would be your lawn mowing. Um house cleaning okay doggy,
1: those kind of doggy things. walking doggy washing dog walking yeah
0: uh where you're really just looking at a a franchise fee, maybe some marketing, a little bit of training, and probably a vehicle
1: yeah
0: um to well in excess of a million dollars and multiple millions if you're looking at the the McDonald's type of businesses hmm. um I would say that the majority of the brands that you would see out there or that you would encounter. Relatively easily, either surfing the net or looking at magazines or going to an exhibition would be in the two to five hundred thousand dollar level. But and the other thing to bear in mind is that a business that's already established where somebody's set up the business um,
1: so this is a franchisee who's done the work and now wants to move out. Yeah,
0: yes, they that those businesses uh, can vary quite a lot in price because the price is determined as it would be by any business that's established and on the market by how much profit it makes mm. largely so that can vary quite considerably
1: but um and what is some what is just looking at that sort of that um kind of sweet spot the middle ground if you like mm. where where a lot of the franchise is currently being sold what are some names who are that you've mentioned sort of jim's mowing i think yeah. there so it's any other sort of brands that typically come up in you know popular ones or which are the ones that are that are going a bit nuts at the moment
0: okay well there continue to be a lot of um food related brands out there okay um there are i was uh, probably you know, eight or maybe even 10 brands now contained within Uh, the retail food group, which is a listed company that primarily operates brands that are to do with either coffee or cakes or pizzas, those kind of things. Right, okay. Um, Most of us would know the the big name coffee and juice bars, the Glory Jeans, the um, Boost Juices. Um, In the food service world, again, we all know about chicken and pizza. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and burgers, obviously, but the, there's been a consistent push in Australia for the Mexican um, style of franchises. There's, okay. there's about three competing brands there and um, they're still fighting it out as right. to whether there's room for three. Um, and there are a few more of the healthy options in that in that sector as well. Um, but then there are a whole lot of r- – all sorts of service related businesses mm-hmm. so, and,
1: that, and those are ones sort of i cut go. you off there but those are the ones i guess that are possibly if, uh, more likely to be of interest to some of our listeners you know those that are might suit the solo microspace possibly mm. um nudging more into the services side so what are some what are some examples of those that are that you know that seem to be mm. taking off a bit at the moment
0: well, chatting earlier, obviously, bookkeeping is, is one of those and I know yep. that that's uh, that's a, an area close to the heart of many of your community members. Yep. Um, there are still quite a few coaching franchises. Okay. Um, I think the the glory days of coaching franchises in terms of proliferation of brands may have passed, but there's still yep. a, a good good number of those and a few in the executive coaching space these days. Yep. Um, mortgages and financial services are still popular. Um and real estate, although that's probably that's a bit of a niche. Mm. Uh, we've come across some some unusual f- um, service franchises recently. We found one that is into real estate photography.
1: Oh, okay. Uh,
0: so the people who take the pictures of your property when you want to sell it, yes, um, and do the, the other related services around that. The, there's a franchise that does that. Um, what an interesting mention-
1: idea. So I, I guess yeah. that's lovely because I, I suppose what's happening there is the the founder of that realized that to negotiate with a whole kind of real estate chain is maybe one or two conversations and you could get an okay all around the country. You could plug into the whole of their network. That, that's, it's like a franchise feeding off a franchise.
0: That, that's exactly right. And they've built hmm. an infrastructure Behind it to make that easy for photographers to um, service that market and do it efficiently. Um, <laughs> so that's um, that's one. I mentioned the drug detection people, which yep. is um, is an interesting one that we we've just found out about.
1: Um, and who is using that? Is that employers or is it schools or is it kind of anyone and everyone?
0: Oh, um, employers. Um, mm-hmm. So there's some obvious ones. Airlines use it. Yeah. Um, the sporting industries mm. use drug detection. Yep. Uh, obviously, manufacturers do. They they want to be sure that their workplaces are safe. Um, uh, apparently, it's being seen more even in white collar businesses. So um, that's a that's a, a particularly um, niche business, but I, I think one that's. Hmm. Um, Certainly on the up. Was, I would have thought. Uh, I think it has got some upside. It's a mm. good piece of uh, workplace policy. They also do training and things related to that, so it's not just the chemical testing. Right. Um, the other things in in this in this kind of space, optometry is another niche area um, where you the large optometry brands are, are generally franchised. So, um, huge range of huge range of things that can be franchised in the service space. Um, notwithstanding there are some little challenges around that when you're selling a service it's as a franchisor it can be reasonably hard to control what happens when your franchisee isn't a franchisee anymore but um, Mm. it's still a it's still a very strong part of the market
1: that comment there then that's what you're, you're saying where someone has maybe like the drug detection person builds up a nice client list and then says one day well I don't want to work with you anymore I'll do this on my own
0: Yes, which yeah. which in drug detection is extremely difficult because you need a okay. lab and all sorts all of right. testing Maybe that was compliance. a bad example. <laughs> but but um, coaching would be one of them.
1: Okay, but surely um, the franchisor has contracts to, to stop this. Or
0: yes, to try they and do. Stop it. They do, but those things actually the um, uh, there's some challenges with with forcing somebody into a position where they can't um, use their skills in a future yes, life.
1: Yes, of so. course. Yeah, and I guess that you know, thinking about the the or for a moment, there, you know, it's it sounds like such a lovely notion. I remember working with a guy years ago who um, went quite a long way down the path and then decided not to uh, to franchise his business, and it looked just so goddamn attractive. <laughs> you know, here are all my here's all my knowledge. I bundle it all up. <laughs> I flog it for twenty grand a time. How hard can that be? And it sounds <laughs> sounds like a lovely business. Yes, but then you know. We've all seen and heard that so many stories. I remember reading one not that long ago of some franchisor who arrived at Sydney Airport from the Gold Coast and was met by about 50 franchisees ready to lynch him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you, those those are not uncommon stories because the franchisor's job, you kind of have to constantly keep your franchisees fed and up to date mm-hmm. and motivated and all. It's, it's quite a task, isn't it?
0: Yes, it is. Fr- being a is is very difficult um, and expensive. Mm. Um, it um, it means that you've got to be able to continue to innovate your business yeah. um, which is particularly important now because every market moves so quickly mm. um, even if that's just new flavors of cookie, for example. Yes. Um, so you're moving faster than you ever did before as the franchisor mm. um, the legal demands around you, in terms of compliance, are, are certainly greater than they were 20 years ago when I first came into the sector. Yeah. Um, and you are dealing with individual business owners that you you only have limited amounts of control over, but your income depends on them. Mm. So there are there are many challenges. It's not for everyone, and certainly there's a there's a really challenging financial spot for most franchisors in that. Um, early stage, where you'll probably find franchisees are making more money than you are, and nice. it, it just can be a very difficult world. But mm. um, the, if if it's the right way to go forward in a in your brand, then it, it can be extremely um, rewarding mm. and and extremely satisfying.
1: I'm sure. Um, yeah, there's nothing like seeing your little baby that you started, you tested, you proved. Um, mm. Replicated. I think it's. A, I think the mm. concept is a great one, and presumably there's little um, pressures there on ores um is precisely why you exist so that's, that's, that's good for you so let me just ask you another question let's use perhaps the um the coaching example as you're mm. saying one of the ones that's relatively low cost mm. quite um you know not uncommon anyway a few coaching organizations at different levels whether it's life coaching or executive coaching b- b- relatively low cost of entry brings all those things that maybe the professional doesn't have, which is the door opening skills, marketing, all that stuff. If someone were thinking of getting into that line of work, how mu- How can they, apart from, you know, how can they do some due diligence of their own? As opposed, you know, obviously we're going to go to the franchisor's website mm. and we're going to expect that everything there is just wonderful and amazing <laughs> and fabulous. Yes. Um, but what what else can they be doing? I mean, it, if it were me, I'd be tempted to ring up a couple of franchisees who are not in my sort of geographical area mm-hmm. or, you know, even hang around outside the house and have a talk with them. I mean, w- would you recommend that sort of stuff?
0: Uh, absolutely, I would. Mm. Um, there are, it's, it's a great question. There are a number of things that you should do if you're thinking about getting into a franchise, say a coaching franchise. Mm. Um, one, one is thinking a little bit about whether this is actually going to be the right type of thing for you. Yep. Um, firstly, the business type itself and secondly, the idea of being in a franchise and we might talk about that a bit mm. later on. Um, in terms of due diligence, yes, you're, you're quite right to point out that when you go and see the franchisor's website and read their collateral, um, you, 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 should, you would expect to find that it says it's fantastic. Mm. Um, and remember that that is marketing and yep. it won't we won't promote really heavily anything that hasn't worked. Um, but as part of the process of investigating a franchise, uh, you are required to be given um, a document called a disclosure document mm-hmm. and a copy of a franchise agreement. Uh, and in particular, the disclosure document will give you uh, some really helpful information, including a list of franchisees and their contact details. Um, and you should definitely contact both existing franchisees and people who have left the network, which you're also required to be provided information about. Oh, really?
1: So that's that's a, that's an absolute requirement. Mm. Wow. I wonder how many people follow up on that, and if they don't, why not?
0: Um, uh, well, I think some of that is um, whatever the whatever the business buying. Um, beer goggles equivalent is so you're completely <laughs> convinced it's all going to be fine so you don't need to look
1: yeah just I suppose, look you know I just think I bought I, I uh, bought a new car recently and I I remember I knew what I wanted I'd sort of bought it with mm. my heart mm. and I watched a couple of YouTube videos that said they were great and then I saw in the right hand column you know perhaps a couple that were suggesting things that weren't so great I just didn't play those yeah yeah, yeah exactly. I suppose but that's you, natural you, you behaviour. you certainly
0: should uh, talk to franchisees mm. um, and understand that if they're disgruntled, they'll probably be grumpy, um, mm. but you, you'll get a good idea by talking to people. Um, you should do work on as far as you can, understanding the size of the market that you're, you're, is going to be available to you. So have a think about oh, in the area or the territory that I'm getting, are the type of people that I want to be doing business with? Can yep. I find them? How would I find them? Um, y- you can get uh, demographic information that will tell you um, – business counts and people counts and a whole host of useful things like that. And, in fact, many franchises have have done that research and would often be prepared to let you know that. So mm. those kind of things are important. Um, most people who buy a franchise know um, or mm, they, sh- they, they should be told anyway they need to get professional advice um, or at least they're recommended to get professional advice. Um, that means lawyer and um, accounting advice. Most people kind of know they probably should get a lawyer to look at the contract because it's a contract. Yeah. Um, many just give a wide berth to the idea of having an accountant look at the numbers, hmm. um, which is not a smart move because accountants, whilst they're usually not the most effusive and enthusiastic about people buying a business in particular franchises which they often struggle with yep. um they, they will give you hopefully a bit more of a balanced perspective
1: hmm. yeah oh, good, that, good advice yeah yeah and tell me and this is um this is probably me to show my complete ignorance mm. if i saw a franchise business in the u.s that i liked the mm. look of could i literally just buy that for australia or is it i can't mm. believe it works that readily does it
0: um well, oh, pretty much. If you've, okay. if you've got the if you've got the cash and you meet their requirements, and you thought that it could fly over here, yes, you could become um, a local master franchisee Yeah, no, I wasn't
1: thinking about being the franchisor, but just being the franchisee. That uh, I, Australia, I know, has got pretty strict franchisee franchise or franchisee regulations mm. that I know Asset keep a close eye on. Mm. But presumably, then, if I saw, if I saw a Um, you know doggy grooming service in the US that just looks a damn sight better than the ones here I couldn't just kind of buy that off the shelf it it wouldn't be that easy would it
0: no it it wouldn't it would still you'd still have to jump through the the same hoops as from the code point of view which are there to protect you so Mm. the the regulations are there to protect um in particular the franchisee because they're the weaker party in that relationship Mm. um so, okay. no, you couldn't just go and buy one from overseas.
1: No, okay, that's fine. And look, one question, I'm not expecting you to um, to name names because it wouldn't be mm. a, a good business decision, but um, are there many franchisals out there that just really, really, really shouldn't be doing this anymore? You know, there's some pretty iffy things. I mean, should we, should we be going into this being very cautious?
0: Um, look, I, I think... Um
1: or is it just like any other sector? There's always going to be a few, iffy people. Um, there
0: are there are always going to be people who either fly flagrant, flagrantly in the face of the law, yep. or who skirt around it around the edges. Um, there are, I think, there are some people who have what I would consider to be sharp practices in their sales process. So they right. would tend to be. Um, pushy in the the sales process i would watch for that for the over enthusiastic salesperson who doesn't give you time to complete your due diligence Mm. uh, for somebody who holds back on providing those legally required documents um
1: yeah okay so it's kind of it's fairly standard behavior watch you know keep your intuition turned right up watch Mm. watch for signals and definitely, definitely, definitely follow up on those um, references or those contacts with mm. and, existing yeah. and past people.
0: And definitely, definitely um, get legal and um, accounting advice. So, yeah. so you you will be given notification that you should get that, and um, there are uh, there are people that you can ask to get advice, and they won't tell you to buy it or not buy it, but they will help you go in with your eyes open. Mm. Um, the other thing I would be aware of is if something seems extremely sexy and hot at a particular moment, um, you just think carefully about whether it's really going to have legs for any length of time. Yep. Um, Australia has, has typically struggled with single-product businesses, Um just because our markets are small. In America, mm. you can have a pretzel franchise and it only sells pretzels and drinks and there's enough people there to make that work. It, yeah, it's in very Australia, hard. it's not
1: quite so easy.
0: Yeah, harder yeah. in Australia. So be, And be careful about things that seem to be super hot. If it seems too good to be true, it almost always is.
1: Yeah. I, I'm guessing from a franchisor's perspective that the ideal, the dream kind of person will – probably not the dream person for the franchise or that's that's really looking to help someone grow a very sustainable business, but um, for the for the other sort of franchise or it's someone who's just been laid off with a nice big fat cash settlement, <laughs> no real idea what to do, but just can't see themselves working underneath anything other than a big sort of fascia that's got a well-known brand on it. They must be just a dream punter, I should think. Anyway. Um,
0: oh, I... Like- I, I guess. Um, look, franchisors like cashed-up buyers. There's no doubt yeah. about that. Um, the good franchisors, by which I mean responsible ones, mm. don't just want somebody who in the old days we would describe as passing the, you know, have you got a check and a pulse yeah. test. Um, you, you, it is your brand and, and a problem franchisee is an expensive thing to have in your network for a whole bunch of reasons. Cool. So, you 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 want somebody who doesn't just want a nice safe place to wait until they can retire. Yeah. You want somebody who's motivated to do something with that money and and work hard at it and um, be a little bit entrepreneurial in the sense of you know driving their own future, not, yeah,
1: not just waiting yeah. for a safe place. Look, to help. I, uh, one th- tip I would suggest, and I don't know how practical this is, but having mm-hmm. you know you mentioned a little earlier. Um, uh, or my sort of relationship mm. with a group of bookkeepers at the moment. Mm. I went to their conference last year, and it was it was wonderful. I was surrounded by 150 bookkeepers mm. who were all, to a man and a woman, delightful company and so goddamn happy in their work. <laughs> you know, and even when you're hanging around the bar at 11 o'clock at night, do you think? Mm-hmm. Well, if there's any goss to be had, I'm going to hear it now. Not a whisper. You know, now that's mm. pretty good. So I reckon find out when the franchise uh, franchisors' conferences and and uh, get a job sweeping floors for that that long weekend
0: we've we've certainly met a handful of um franchisors who will have their end stage prospective franchisees so people who are some way down the the process come along to a conference
1: Mm. um a
0: couple of them will do that
1: that's a great idea now talking about end stage and you mentioned a bit earlier on this notion of buying a uh, an existing franchise business. Mm. What's the what is the typical exit for a for a franchisee, and is is an exit kind of built into the very setup of the business? Um, another
0: really good and very important question. Um, so, f- what's important to understand with a franchise agreement is uh, that they are fixed term agreements. So um, they may have renewal options in them but they're often either five years with a renewal for five years or 10 years plus 10. I think McDonald's is 20 plus 20 mm. um, but they, they are fixed term. What that means is at the end of the franchise term, um, the franchisor can decide that they don't want to renew your contract in which case your business goes away. Mm. Um So it has no value at that point. And it's really important to understand that. Now, in practice, most franchisors don't don't tend to do that, but sometimes they do and it can catch people out. So, for example, let's say you bought a um, coffee business in a suburb where suddenly no one drank coffee. The franchisor might get to the end of the franchise agreement and say, look, you know, we, we just don't want you to stay here because nobody drinks coffee in this yeah, suburb We're anymore. not
1: shifting enough stock through you sort of Yeah.
0: Thing. Well, there's no market for it. It's yeah. just not – we can't pay the rent. You can't pay the rent. It's silly. We, we just won't take that on. And so your business essentially goes away. Hmm. Um, now, that, that doesn't happen very often but it is something you should understand. Uh, what it also means is that you need to think before you get to the end of your term – um, about whether you want to sell your business which, which often means that somebody can get a whole new franchise term and um, if you don't want to stay there, you, you you can usually do that. So, one of the exit strategies is that you can sell it to someone else.
1: Right. And this will all be in each franchisor's agreement? It'll it will, be, yeah, yes. Okay,
0: okay. Yeah. Right. So So, the options are you can get to the end of the term and close it, go away, it all finishes. You can, at some point during the term, you can sell it Uh, There are various ways that that actually works, and those will be the two most common ways out. Yeah,
1: okay. But again, it's 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 um it's often one of those things, isn't it, when you st- when you start a business. I know we're all told start with the exit in mind, but you mm. know, who does that? No one. <laughs> no one. Um so but again, it should be a, a very key part of your kind of decision process when you're buying is okay, 10 years, 5 years, 15 mm. years down the track what am I going to want to do with this and yeah. what does the agreement allow me to do with this?
0: Absolutely. And in the meantime, probably more particularly, um, what does that mean for how fast I need to repay my loan if I took one out to buy the business? Yep. Um, that's probably an early stage decision. The, the question of exit, most of the people that we speak to would probably say, a question of thinking about exit is probably something you'd do after you'd been in the business maybe two or three years. You've got it working. Hmm. It's established. You're starting to look two or three years down the track, and at that point you're going to start thinking well, what's going to happen three years out. Yep. So uh, you're right that hardly anybody thinks about the end when they start, no. and to be honest, if we all thought about the end of anything before we started, we would never get started on anything.
1: <laughs> so first uh, is a nice segue to my closing question. Okay. <laughs> so look, um, Kate, thank you so much um, for sharing all your experience. It gives a really good insight into franchise or franchisee decisions to be made. Um, really valuable. Thank you very much. So, for people that want to find out more about you, they should head along to which of your which of your domains should we direct we, we, people? We've towards? got a couple. Okay.
0: Um, the bit of our business that looks after. Um, Education is smartfranchise.com.au. Okay. Um, And the bit of our business that um, is about pulling together a network of accountants and providing people who are coming into franchises or who are existing franchisees with better accounting advice through that um, network of independent accounting firms is um, franchiseaccountants.net.au. au.
1: Fantastic. Well, look, thank. You. Now, look, my closing question to you—a question that I ask everyone—and it's a bit of a bit of a left field, given the the, the, the sort of nature of the discussion we've had. But I'd just mm. love to know, with you, who's who's been the greatest influence on you, and what did they teach you? What do they bring to you in your work?
0: Okay, that's a it's a it's a good question. I, I've actually got a couple, and um, it's it's hard to it's hard to. Pick, but two that are uh, significant for me was uh, that I was in a, a group called the Executive Connection for a number of years, uh, which is a kind of a peer support group, but mm. it's a mentored system. Uh, and Tom, who was the chair of my tech group, was a, a great mentor for me when I was running a business uh, as a franchisor. Uh, and he probably more than anybody, helped me see that even in difficult circumstances, the job of a leader isn't to quit when the going's tough. Right. Um, and when you're running a business, you you have to make a lot of difficult decisions and, and nearly always the path isn't clear. Um, and he was hmm. particularly good at, at um, reminding all of us in the group that, that that is part of the job of the leader and if you don't like that, you better get out
1: of that seat. Hmm, that's very good learning. And who's, yeah, are, so that was That, that was, was great. number one, and, Tom. Yep.
0: Yeah, and... Um, the second one, really, I, I can't go past uh, acknowledging the contribution that Peter, my business partner, has made in oh. terms of my um, business and, and life development. I'm, I'm very glad that I have a um, an amazing business partner. And
1: um, the things that
0: we've probably learned together uh, in that journey, which as anybody knows who's been in business with somebody else, being in a partnership is exceptionally difficult. Mm. Um that it works best when you you learn to collaborate rather than seeking individual glory. I think that's, and
1: hmm.
0: um, that's been something that we we struggled with to be honest at, at stages. But I think we've um, we've got that one pretty much tamed now, and it's been been good to do that. Fantastic. And the other thing that he taught me um, was uh, a model, a business model which uh, we call the Billy Cart model, which is really goes um a bit like pushing a billy cart down a hill when you're a kid
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: it off, often it's um it's good just to give something a push and see how it goes and then see how you can improve it and uh that uh, for for people who are mostly prone to um, trying to i'm certainly prone to wanting to dot the i's and cross yes, the t's okay um, that's uh, that's been a good lesson. It's not always the right way to do things, but it, it can be very effective.
1: No, that's that's great, and I I just love that image of a of a billy cart. That's a good one, is it? And you don't have to start at the top of a very big hill and push like hell. You just start at a small yeah. small gradient, don't you? Then you have yep. a look, and go well, actually. That wheel's a bit wobbly. You'll tighten that up and maybe it doesn't steer as well as it should. No, that's a great one. Lovely. It is. Good. Okay, well, Kate, again, Kate Gruen, thank you so much for joining us and sharing uh, your thoughts with the Flying Solo community. Thank you.
0: My pleasure. Thanks,
1: Robert. Thanks.
0: And that's where we'll leave this show from Flying Solo and your host, Robert Gerrish. We'd love to receive feedback, even a brief review for those listening via iTunes. If you're planning to start a business or rejuvenate the one you're in, check out our bestseller, Flying Solo, How to Go It Alone in Business. It includes everything we know about working on your own. And of course, we invite you to dive into the resources and supportive community at flyingsolo.com.au.